Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. It is such a blessing to be with you this morning to share with you my thoughts about my favorite story in all of Scripture that happens to be also in my favorite gospel. Before we hear this passage in John, let's take stock about what has already happened with Jesus in this book. He changed Simon Peter's name, called Philip to be a disciple, changed water to wine at the wedding at Cana, cleared the temple of the money changers and the dove sellers, and he had a chat with Nicodemus, as we heard last week. Which brings us to the fourth chapter in this unique book, the gospel where Jesus speaks more about who he is than in any other gospel, the gospel where he declares these seven I am statements, some of which you will likely hear in this series on the book of John this semester. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. If you have heard this story before, I invite you to hear it anew with fresh ears. And if you have not heard this story, I'm glad I get to share it with you. From the book of John, chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But nobody asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back up to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. There is so much in this story. Books have been written about it, dissertations presented about it, art created about it, songs sung about it, like the one we just heard a moment ago. Adrian von Cam has said that this story is, in a sense, an echo of the entire book of John. The darkness in which the woman finds herself, her hidden longing for liberation and fulfillment. Jesus' invitation of living water, the coming of the true light into her life, her going out to other people in love. All of these are spoken elsewhere in this gospel. I would like to share with you some brief aspects of what this story speaks to me. These are what it tells us about Jesus, what it tells us about this woman, what it says about the people of the town, what it says about water, and what it means for us. First, what it tells us about Jesus. I have read where this is the longest one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus has in scripture. And the thing that strikes me about that is that this dialogue should not have even happened, given the culture of the time. Yet he is the one who starts the conversation with this woman. Also, his humanity is shown by his being tired and thirsty and hungry, perhaps craving some solitude. Maybe some of us would want to be left alone if we were feeling this way. Maybe we would just look down and pretend like nobody was coming toward us. Yet here is Jesus, perhaps still thinking about what happened in the temple, perhaps still thinking about his chat with Nicodemus. And he braces this interruption in his downtime and breaks social convention to start a conversation with a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. He starts the dialogue with where she is at, what she knows, which is drawing water from a well. And after she asks him how he could ask for a drink, he replies, if you knew the gift of God, and he it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then at the end of their conversation, I can envision that all of time with a capital T slows down. Time from the creation of the world and even before that, because something is about to be said that is of cosmic proportions. When you're writing a paper for class, there may be five minutes between the time you end one sentence and start another, or it might be five days. And as a faculty member, we don't know that. And we think that you have constructed that all in one sitting. We don't know how long it takes for the next 22 words to be said. And yet I anticipate that there were a few pauses. Perhaps there was one before she said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then I picture Jesus having a knowing smile and eyes full of compassion when he says to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine that moment in all of history for this woman to hear him say, the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been longing for, I am that person. What did it feel like for her to hear that? What did it feel like for him to say that? She was the first person to whom that he reveals that he is the Messiah. This painting by Danish artist Karl Bloch about 150 years ago, still in Copenhagen, and is my favorite visual depiction of this story. This painter highlighted the newly claimed divinity of Jesus by the halo glow around his head. 
Also, everyone in that day would certainly understand if a Jewish man looked down on a Samaritan woman and the power dynamic that was implied by that. And yet here is Jesus, more in the form of a servant, who is looking up at her. He doesn't call a press conference. He doesn't go to the religious leaders of the day. He doesn't even tell his disciples first. He tells this woman that he is the Christ. Absolutely stunning. Second, what it tells us about this woman. She reminds me of a situation I experienced several years ago. It was Christmas Eve, and my family was at worship together. A few of the traditional carols had been sung, the manger scene was in place, and the mood was festive. The four outer candles of the Advent wreath had been lit, and it was time to light the center Christ candle. The candle lit easily, and the service continued on with the singing of another carol. But while I was singing, I continued to focus my gaze on the Christ candle's flame, and it was really struggling to stay lit. It faded to just a glimmer for a few moments, and then very slowly grew to be the fullest flame on the advent wreath. I envisioned that this is the way this woman felt, drained like her flame was almost extinguished in various aspects of her life, physically, socially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. She knew where she stood in society and she made her way to the well one more time by herself. And I imagine that she could have been thinking, just another day, is this the way the rest of my life is going to be? Surely there is something more for me. I hope there is something more for me. I need there to be something more for me. And maybe this is the way it is for you as well. Even in these first few weeks of the semester, even at this very moment, just another day at Samford, just another Tuesday worship, but it has the potential to be so much more because Jesus is offering us the same thing that he offers this woman. Imagine the emotional roller coaster she experienced in those first few minutes with Jesus. Shame, coming to the well at noon to avoid being with the other women, enduring their looks, hearing their whispered comments. Surprise that a Jewish man started a chat with her. Astonishment of who he revealed himself to be. And then excitement, so much so that she leaves her water jar and runs to the town to share what she just experienced. She becomes the first missionary. Third, what this tells this about the people of the town. Here was this woman of questionable reputation, very likely an outcast who didn't speak with many people. Now she comes running to them with this news of a man telling her that he knows about her husband and the man with whom she is currently living. She had to have been noticeably different. The fact that they even paid any attention to her at all tells me that not only was she very convincing, but they also had to have been somewhat receptive to what she had to say. Something had radically changed in her, and they noticed. They just did not discount her as someone who had no worth. They paid attention to her, and I have heard it said that the greatest thing that you can do for someone is to pay attention to that person. They took her at her word and at least wanted to check out what she was telling them. And in verse 39, it states that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what she said. They had not yet seen Jesus, and yet they believed because of the change in this woman. Another interesting thing about the people of this Samaritan town is that after hearing this woman, they wanted this Jewish man to stay with them for a while. Jesus did, and after two days with him, they believed that he really is the savior of the world. It makes me wonder, how receptive am I to those on the margins of society, to those with a questionable reputation? What do they have to teach me? Am I listening? Fourth, what it tells us about water 
As you know, we can't live without it. And Jesus said that everyone who drinks water from the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that he gives them will never thirst. And he said, indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Since John was a fisherman by trade, it makes sense to me that the water would be very important to him. Perhaps that is why this story is only found in his gospel. When I think of living water, I think about the pretty fountains that we have on this campus that we frequently pass by. They remind me of springs of water welling up to eternal life. And maybe they will remind you of that as well when you see them. Last weekend, I was at the beach for a family wedding. When I got to my hotel room that Friday afternoon, I was eager to see the view of the water from the Gulf. There was not a cloud to be seen, and the color of the water seemed to match that of the sky, and it was beautiful. But after the rehearsal dinner, when I got back to my room that night, I went out on the balcony to look out at the water again, and I could see absolutely nothing. It was pitch black. And it caused me to think about the dark times in our lives when we may not be able to see or feel the living water that Christ has for us because we may be experiencing a dark night of the soul. But then daylight came that mercies were new every morning and I could view that water again. And this reminded me that the living water that Jesus offers us is always there whether we can see it or not, even and especially when darkness seems to be all that is ahead of us. Last, what this story means for us. There are many things to glean from this passage, and yet I believe a key aspect is that it reflects God's often choosing the least likely to further his kingdom. Mary, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, and this woman would certainly fit in that group. I believe the reason for this is that the good news is not just for the privileged or for those who seem to have it all together. The least likely have so much to convey to us. For instance, I was volunteering at my church one evening for the formerly called Birmingham Hospitality Network. It's now called the Family Promise of Birmingham, and maybe you've heard of it. This is a consortium of churches in our city who house homeless families for one week at a time. They come to one church on a Sunday afternoon, stay for a week, and then move to another church the next Sunday afternoon. These families usually have at least one parent who has a job. They just don't have a place to stay generally due to being new to town or between apartments. I was having dinner with one of the families one night, and after supper was over, one of the moms asked me if we had an iron, and I didn't know if we did at the church. And so when I went to see if we had one, she walked with me, and she informed me that she wanted to wear her scrubs and to iron them before she went to work the next day. I asked her where she worked, and she was a janitor at another church. She wanted to iron her clothes before she went to mop floors and empty trash and clean bathrooms. I was blown away with the pride that she took in wanting to look her best while doing these acts. This least likely woman showed me an example of a person wanting to be her very best at work, regardless of what that work entailed. There is a lesson in that for all of us. Not only does this story in John involve the least likely, it also addresses the importance of belonging. I imagine that most of us, if not all of us, have felt like we didn't belong at some point in our lives. When Jen Hatmaker was in Birmingham last April, she talked about the unflattering descriptions that society typically has of Christians. Judgmental, hypocritical, intolerant, 
boring. She then discussed what she considers to be the current model of how Christians often interact with others. First, you need to believe, and you need to believe just like me. And then after that, then you can belong. And then after you belong with us, then you better behave. Believe, belong, behave. But what Jen said needs to happen is that first people need to feel that they belong, to say to them, you belong here with us, and then we show them the radical hospitality of Christ. After they feel like they belong, then belief may come, and there may be a thousand conversations between belonging and belief. But that is our best chance for belief to happen. And then we all become, become together the people that Jesus intends for us to be. Belong, believe, become. And she went on to say that we do not need to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to represent it. Jesus knew that this Samaritan woman did not belong anywhere. She did not feel like she had a place anywhere. But he met her at that need and invited her into his life. And she was changed. What did the least likely have to share with us? How do we help people feel that they belong here at Samford, at our churches, and in our communities? Let us follow Jesus' lead and be sensitive enough to welcome those who need to feel love and belonging. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this powerful story and for what it tells us about Jesus, this woman, the people of the town, water, and ourselves. May we seek to live our lives so that we authentically represent you to a needy and lonely world. Help us to remember that the one we have been waiting for, the one that we long for, has indeed said, I who speak to you am he. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.